Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As we continue in our studies in the life of Christ and looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus up to this point has taught us about many things. He's given us his word about, you know, several topics. Uh, Again, he's gave us the Beatitudes. He's told us about murder in the heart, about going the second mile, about adultery, marriage, about loving your enemies, about the model prayer. He's talked about giving his counsel on fasting and um, again, about worry. So he's given us quite a few things, a lot of teachings on, again, not judging, about keeping, asking, seeking, knocking, uh, again, regarding prayer. This morning he's going to talk to us about false prophets, false prophets. Now, you may not think of that as being very exciting or, oh, well, I wished it was something else. But please understand, if it's in the Bible and Jesus is talking about it, it's important. And it's for our good that he's teaching it to us because we need to know. He wants us to know. A prophet in biblical times was a person who spoke for God. And who communicated God's message. And he communicated it fearlessly. Word for word. To God's chosen people. The nation of Israel. A prophet received his call or appointment. Directly from God. Now some prophets are even called. Before they were born. Like Jeremiah or John the Baptist. But their privilege of being a prophet wasn't a birthright. It's not that they had it coming. It's just the way God chose to do things. He chose some prophets before they were even born. Their authority, the prophet's authority, came from God alone. And it it was God's message that they delivered. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, just to name a few. And a prophet's call, that is a, a, a prophet that God called, that was a call to liberty and freedom to be themselves. And it helped the prophet to be unaffected by people's partiality and criticism. And the call of the prophet required that he's not intimidated or that he's not threatened by those that he was delivering God's message to. Now, sometimes a prophet became quite theatrical, very dramatic. In the message he would give. Uh, And and they would act out their message. For example, we have Isaiah who went naked and barefoot for three years. Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 more. Zechariah broke two staffs. So by making themselves a spectacle, prophets not only stirred up the curiosity of the people, but they also invited the ridicule of their contemporaries. And you're always going to have those people that ridicule God's people. If it wasn't for the fact that these prophets were called by God, there would be nothing special about them. They're just like everybody else. But they had a special call from God to be a spokesman for God and to speak the word of God to God's people. The prophets came from all walks of life and classes of society. Their backgrounds were a mix of sheep breeders, farmers, uh, like Amos was, 
uh, and Elisha. He was also a sheep breeder and a farmer, but also princes like Abraham and priests um, uh, like Ezekiel. Even women and children became prophets. And in rare occasions, on rare occasions and rare circumstances, God used the hesitant or unruly to deliver his message. For example, he used Balaam. He used Balaam to prophesy his message. But Balaam was actually an enemy of God. Saul definitely wasn't in fellowship with God when he prophesied. Some, some prophets were called for a lifetime, but sometimes a prophet was called just for the moment, just for that occasion, and then they were never heard of again. They were gone. But whether a prophet was called for a lifetime or for the moment, a prophet spoke with the authority of the Holy Spirit. One trait characterized them all. They, were, they, they all gave a faithful proclamation of God's word and not their own. They spoke what God told them to speak. They didn't tell people what they had, their opinion or what they had to say. Jesus' reference to himself as a prophet in John 12, 49 and 50 rests upon this standard of faithfully repeating God's word to man. Jesus spoke only what the Father told him to speak. Many scholars deny that prophecy includes the prediction of future events. But fulfillment was the test of a prophet's genuineness. In other words, if a prophet spoke in the name of God and it came to pass, he was a prophet of God. But if it didn't come to pass, God said, don't worry about him. He's not mine. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, notice that prophet shall die. If you were a, a prophet in that day, you better know what you were talking about. You better know that you were called by God. Because if you made one wrong announcement, if something you said did not come to pass, you were marked as a false prophet, and that prophet was put to death. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has, spoke, has not spoken? He said, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Whether a prophet's words were fulfilled within his lifetime or centuries down the road, they were fulfilled and they were fulfilled to the letter. That is, they were fulfilled word to word for word. But no matter what time they came to pass, the prophet's message applied to his generation as well as to others. And the main role of the prophet was to bring forth God's word for the purpose of teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 Whether the message was a warning of coming danger or it was making God's will known to the people, they were similar in function to the modern preacher in the church. Prophets were referred to as messengers of the Lord or servants of God or shepherds and also, and also watchmen. And prophets had a huge influence on the people. And the reason is because, you see, they could lead people astray faster than anybody else could because, again, they were said, hey, we're a prophet of God. And people thought, well, if they're a prophet of God, I need to listen. So if they were false, they had a greater influence of leading them astray just because they were 
called a prophet. So Jesus gives us now some important counsel about false prophets here in his Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's counsel is as timely today as it was on the day that he preached it. And even though we don't have prophets today like they did back then, his word is is very important. Today, this counsel is a warning about all the counterfeit religious leaders. And there's a lot of them today. Prophets were not only uh, those who predicted future events, like the prophets of olden days did, but they were also those who exhorted concerning conduct and doctrine. So again, this counsel is very applicable to our age this morning. This counsel that Jesus gives about false prophets was a condemnation of false prophets by Christ. Let's begin now in chapter 7 with verse 15. And notice Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Notice the very first word out of Jesus' mouth here. Beware. Beware. Watch out. Be careful. Look for false prophets. Beware. Jesus' counsel about false prophets starts out with a one-word command, and that's to beware. And this word beware expresses some real passion in his denouncing. It wasn't just like Jesus cast just, eh, you know, you got to watch out for the false. This beware was a compassionate warning. Beware of false prophets. He's not speaking passively. He is speaking seriously. The word translated beware means pay attention, be cautious, apply, or adhere. And those definitions are according to Strong's exhaustive concordance. So this word beware should get our attention right away. Because the word beware says there's a great threat of danger that's present. And it's going to do you a lot of harm if you don't keep up a good watch. And if you don't exercise a lot of caution. So when Jesus says beware, we need to listen attentively. And we need to listen responsibly. We need to be very watchful when it comes to the danger presented here. And we need to take the necessary action that Jesus gives about this danger. Scripture records Jesus in many other places telling us to beware. To beware of a number of things. Not only false prophets. But here particularly, the warning is about false prophets. Because there are many things that can lead us astray. There are many things that want to get us off of that straight and narrow road. So again, we need to beware uh, when he tells us about, he warns us about certain things. Scripture, again, records telling us to beware about a number of things besides false prophets. Like He also warns about to beware of things like persecutors. He warns th- about things like bad doctrine. He warns about things like hypocrisy. Watch out for the hypocrites. Watch out for those who don't preach God's word. But men don't usually pay attention to the warnings of God today. Many don't care about the warnings of God today. Instead, men go about their merry way in disobedience of God's warning. They hear the warning, eh, doesn't mean anything to them. They don't don't pay attention to God's warnings. But the end result isn't pretty. Because the end results in destruction. Jesus' warning about false prophets isn't just an isolated incident. It's not an isolated one. False prophets were a constant danger in biblical times. 
and needed to be warned often. The people needed to be warned often about, about this because of the false, pro, uh, false prophet's strong and evil influence on the people. The presence and the danger of false prophets is mentioned many times in Scripture for many different things. For example, in Jeremiah 5, verse 30 through 31, listen to what Jeremiah said. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. Notice how he starts it off. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets, the, uh, the prophets prophesy falsely. He said, this is a horrible and astonishing thing. The prophets are giving out false information. And the priests rule by their own power. Jeremiah 23, 14. Notice what he says. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. Notice, these prophets, they commit adultery and they walk in lies. These were men who claimed to be God's people. And they were committing adultery. They were lying. Therefore, false prophets. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. Notice, they, strong, they, they would strengthen those people that were walking on the wrong path so that they wouldn't turn back to the right path. He said, all of them to me are, are like Sodom and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Ezekiel twenty two twenty five. 25. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst are like roaring, roaring lions. Notice, tearing the prey. The false prophets were like roaring lions. They were tearing the people apart, spiritually speaking. They have devoured the people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have many, made many widows in her midst. Notice, these were the prophets, false prophets. Acts twenty twenty nine. Paul said, for I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 2 Peter 2.1 But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. You will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the Lord. I said, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies? He says, they will even deny the Lord who, brought, who bought them. They'll even deny that Jesus saved them. And they will bring on themselves swift destruction. That's why we're told in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Because a person says they're a Christian, or because they're a pastor, because they're a prophet, because whatever the title might be, John says, hey, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The bad guys that Jesus is talking about here in our lesson are false prophets. These are the ones that Jesus is denouncing. And in every age, false prophets have been a danger to the people because they're tools that Satan uses to oppose, to come against God's word. One of Satan's many tools that he uses and uses effectively is counterfeiting the truth, counterfeiting God's word. Now, Satan doesn't straight out deny it. But he will present it in a way that makes it look believable. The word prophet originally meant one who foretells future events. But prophets were commonly considered to be public instructors on the subject of religion. And the word came to mean all who were religious teachers. So a false prophet today, or I should say a false prophet, is one who teaches a false belief. 
specifically a belief that doesn't align with Scripture. If somebody comes to you teaching you something or telling you something that the the Bible says, if you don't know the Bible, how are you going to know? There are a lot of people who just listen and say, oh, really, I didn't know that. And they take it as gospel. You need to know the Bible so that you know when somebody lies to you or gives you a false doctrine, you'll know that they're a false teacher. Very important that we understand that. 2 Peter 2.1, listen to what Peter said, but there were also false prophets among the people. Listen, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. We have many of those people around today in different religions and different cults that call themselves Christian. And an example is, you know, uh, from Roman Catholic priests, we have those who teach things like purgatory, the worship of Mary or, or the worship of saints or other doctrines that are contrary to Scripture. From them, we have cult leaders who teach such things as Jesus has already returned to earth. And some who claim that they are Jesus themselves. Let's look at purgatory, for example. Here's the the definition of purgatory. An intermediate state after death. So it's somewhere after death, you know, and before you get to heaven. It's an intermediate state after death for expiatory purification. In other words, to make amends before you get to heaven. A place that you can purify yourself, make amends before you get to heaven. It says it's a place or state of punishment wherein, according to Roman Catholic doctrine, the souls of those who die in God's grace may make satisfaction for past sins and in doing so become fit for heaven. A place or state of temporary suffering or misery. Now let's look at two places where the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Paul said to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. No mention there about some intermediate place. So me- no, no place mentioned where you're going to stay there for a while before you make things right and makes you fit for heaven. And I think the best one is the one that Jesus said to the, the thief when he was going to die that day. <clears throat> Luke 23, 43. Jesus told the thief, Assuredly, I say to you today, notice, today you will be with me in paradise. Is that hard to understand? No. Jesus was saying, The moment you die, you're going to be with me in paradise. No purgatory, no intermediate waiting place. But again, these are the things that that many religions and cults and false teachers preach. Matthew Henry said this, If the doctrine be of God, it will tend to promote serious piety, humility, charity, holiness, and love with other Christian graces. But if, on the contrary, the doctrines these false prophets preach have a manifest tendency to make people proud, worldly, contentious, to make them loose and careless in their conversations, unjust or uncharitable, factious, or disturbers of the public peace. If it indulge in carnal liberty and take people off from governing themselves and their families by the strict rules of the narrow way, we may conclude that this persuasion comes not from God that called us, this wisdom is not from above. Not only does a false prophet have a false doctrine, he will also have a false commission. That is, he will say, I'm called of God, but he's not. He will have a false calling. He will have a false commission that goes along with his false doctrine. A false prophet says, I've been called by God. He claims to have a position. 
He claims to have a calling. He's on a mission by God. He has a commission in reality that God did not call him to. Now, I don't know about you, but I, and I've shared this before, and I, I just got one, another one last week from this person that has a hotline with God. And it said, Joe, I got a message for you. You want, my, you want to know what, and, 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 and it goes on to, you know, oh, poor you, and I've gone through this, and I've gone through that, and you need help right now, and I know you could, need, you could use this message, and, and all you have to do is, is call this number, and I will give you this message from God. And I thought, gosh, I guess God can't find out where I'm at. <laughs> he can't get to me. He can't find me. So I guess he's going through this lady. And they're, they're all over the place. Oh, you know, call the psychic hotline. And I've seen these. Oh, this, this person told me exactly what I wanted to hear. And, oh, they told me exactly what was on my mind. And, on, and it goes on. And, and rather than go to the true and living God who's, who's omniscient, who knows everything, who's omnipotent, who's all-powerful and all-wise, they go to some person they've never, just because they want to hear what they, they have to say. This is exactly what Jesus is warning about here. These false prophets are these special people who have a hotline with God. They claim to have been called by God. They claim to have a position that God has given them when God didn't call them at all. The thing is, these people know how people fall for these kinds of things. Again, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. These are like the ones that were tested by the church in Ephesus, who Jesus said in Revelation 2, 2, they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Some of them even claim that they are Jesus themselves. Again, others say they have a special calling, a divine calling, an anointing. Like the phony faith healers. Or they have a special insight to the things of God, but you got to call me. You got to come to my church. You got to come to my, you got to follow me and then you'll be in the in crowd. You'll know the latest scoop. Again, they have no calling. They have no doctrine that's of God. They're liars. Plain and simple. So, you know, they, they pretend to be men of God or women of God when they're nothing of the kind. They might have credentials, you know, for maybe a committee, a group of men. They may vouch for them. They may have some piece of paper that, you know, makes all these claims, these certificates. You know, but, but they're nothing. They're nobody. Whatever the case may be, they all say that they have a divine calling, which they really don't have. Again, they pretend to be men and women of God that that have no calling whatsoever. Not only that, they have a false doctrine. They conduct themselves in, in, in a wrong way, in a corrupt way. Their conduct is faulty. The behavior of the false prophet is another way in which they're proven to be false prophets because it doesn't match the purity of the true prophets. Their behavior doesn't match. It doesn't, again, it doesn't fall in line with the word of God. God's true prophets lived holy lives. And God's true prophets were known for their characteristic life, like Elisha's life. 
Elisha was called a holy man of God, which is a term that was used especially for true prophets. But false prophets are just the opposite. They're corrupt. They're often immoral, like the ones that Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.6. They creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. Again, Jeremiah 23, 14 said, Also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jeremiah. They commit adultery and walk in lies. Like the priests in Ezekiel day. These false prophets, he said, Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and clean. They didn't separate between the clean and the holy things. They did the unclean things. Jeremiah said they violated God's law. They profaned God's holy things. Jeremiah said, you know, they were committing adultery with the women. They were walking in lies. Look what Jesus says now in verse 15. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. False prophets, Jesus warns here about the sneaky disguise of the false prophet. False prophets are like wolves in their character. But they don't like to reveal their true character. They like to hide under the disguise of sheep's clothing and portray themselves as being sheep. Now, while this disguise about, you know, Clothing themselves in sheep's clothing. It, it's, it's, you know, it's a, a, a kind of, it's a figurative language. It's a figurative language. Because in the, but in the olden days, understand, this deceit in the clothing he's talking about, it was actually literal. Because back in the time that Jesus is talking about, <clears throat> the false prophets really did put on false clothing to fool the people. Because false prophets did wear the clothing of the true prophets in order to deceive the people. The prophet Zechariah talks about this exact thing when he was referring to the judgment of false prophets. Listen to what Zechariah said in chapter 13, verse 4. He said, And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. That coarse hair was the prophet's clothing and Zachariah, Zachariah, Zachariah was saying that you know they're going to be ashamed in the day that they give their prophecy he says they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive the robe of coarse hair was often a garment that was made out of camel's hair and we see this to be true when Elijah had an encounter with the king Ahaziah because Elijah had had intercepted some of King Ahaziah's messengers who were going to inquire of Beelzebub, which was the god of Ekron, King Ahaziah wanted to know if he was going to recover from his injury. Well, when the messengers returned with Elijah's message, the king asked the messenger, well, who was the man that sent the message that said Ahaziah was going to die? Well, they said, Describing the man, said, so, well, it was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. That description of what Elijah was wearing caused the king Ahaziah to recognize, oh, I know who that man was. It was the prophet Elijah, the prophet from Tishbite. 
You see, because he was wearing the true clothing of a true prophet, King Ahaziah recognized who he was. John the Baptist was another one. He was the great prophet and messenger of Christ. He was dressed the same way in Matthew 3, 4. We read, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He was a true prophet of God. He wore this camel hair, just like Zechariah. Or I should say, um, Elijah. False prophets dressed in this same camel hair clothing of the true prophets so that they could deceive the people, so that they would look like the real thing. Using clothing to deceive, it's an old trick. It goes all the way back to the garden. What did Adam and Eve do when they were found naked? They put on the leaves. Jesus had to, uh, God had to cover them in, in, in an animal skin. Jacob tried it in deceiving his father to be Esau. Ahab tried it. So again, we see it's nothing new. Verse 15 again, is, he says, Jesus said, who come to you, the false, prophet, false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You see, false prophets needed to disguise themselves to look like something other than what they were. Because of their wolf-like character, I mean, if they came out in their wolf-like character, it would keep the people away. You know, they wouldn't want to get near these false prophets. So what did they do? They disguised themselves in different ways to hide their their true wolf-like character. Now, the purpose for disguising themselves can be stated for a couple of reasons. First of all, they disguised themselves to make sure that they were accepted. And secondly, they disguised themselves to make uh, them more believable. You see, wolves in the natural, they're very scary creatures. They're very dangerous. And they scare people away. They will scare the sheep. So these false prophets had to disguise themselves as sheep so they could approach them, so they could be accepted by the people. And being disguised as sheep makes them look holy. Because again, sheep are often used to describe God's flock. Sheep are described as harmless. And, and the false prophets use the idea of sheep because sheep are a symbol of innocence, sincerity, and harmlessness. And we've all used the term, oh, they're gentle as a lamb. False prophets want to be accepted and they want to be admired. No wolf is approved or admired, but sheep are. No wolf will be allowed into the sheepfold. But if a wolf made it, was made to look like a sheep, they have a good chance of being accepted into the fold. They have a good chance of, of being perceived as believable. If the false prophet came as he is in his wolf-like demeanor, he would obviously lose his effectiveness. Lies and error and phoniness are usually never kept out in the open. We never usually bring it out to light. The, never, the, the devil never comes in his, as, as he's portrayed. The devil never comes to anybody in his little red PJs with a forked tail and a pitchfork. Evil always tries to come dressed up in some holy outfit in order to deceive people and to be more effective in leading people astray and corrupting them. That's what makes error so effective when it's disguised. When it's presented as something else. Verse 15, again, Jesus says, Inwardly now, inwardly, 
They are ravenous wolves. He tells you now exactly what these false prophets are. Inwardly, inside, they're like ravenous wolves. Jesus exposed the great danger of the false prophet by calling them ravenous wolves. So Jesus said, they're very, very cruel people. They were very cruel people. And notice that it was Jesus who called these prophets ravenous wolves. Now, we've mentioned this before. Jesus was in the habit of calling things what they really are. He called Herod that fox. Jesus called the scribes at Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that day, in different times, he called them hypocrites. He called them fools and serpents, vipers. Now, of course, there are a lot of people in our church today who, who just can't accept such, such bold and honest language. They don't want to call sin, sin. They want to give it some name that's more, more palatable, some sin, a name that's easier to swallow. But Jesus came out and said it like it was. They can't accept the bold and honest language of what the sin is. They choose rather to, 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 and when that happens, those are the people who don't expose sin or try to stop it. And so it continues on. You know, it's like, it's like a, a, a small sore that you get that, that gets infected. If you leave it alone, it's going to spread and it's going to get worse. You got to stop the infection because then it, so it won't spread. But it's a, it's, that's what sin is like in the church. If you don't stop it, if you don't get rid of it, it's going to spread and contaminate the whole church. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You see, these false prophets, they, they treat sin lightly. And those who, who, who can't accept the, the strong, you know, enunciation of sin or denunciation of sin, you know, they, they, they treat it lightly. It ends up spreading and corrupting a lot of people. But Jesus was different. And, you know, we should be different, too. We should be like Christ. We should call sin by its proper name. Or you don't do anything to help people see that it's dangerous, that it's going to hurt them. You have to label poison as poison or it will kill innocent people. Jesus didn't warn about false prophets without helping us recognize what they look like so that we don't get devoured by them. Look what Jesus said now in verses 16 through 18. He said, here's how you'll know them. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Good fruit. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits, both good and bad. The fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. And here Jesus focuses particularly on the fruit of the false prophets, what they're like, what kind of people they are. What kind of people are these false prophets? Well, you'll find out that their fruit often includes immorality, dishonesty about money, mishandling money, promoting themselves. It's all about them. It's what they can gain, what they can get from the people. 
when it comes to what they believe, find out what they believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And again, that's why it's so important that you know what the Bible teaches, that you know what it says, and that you go to a Bible teaching church so that when you encounter the faults, you'll recognize it right away. But so many people will believe just because a guy calls himself a Christian, a pastor, he's this, he's that, he's got this, he's got this degree. And it doesn't matter. What does he believe about Jesus Christ is what matters. Does what he believed line itself with what the Bible teaches, what Jesus said and, 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 and the apostles and the disciples? Does it match? Find out what they believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do they believe in the deity of Christ? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do they believe that Jesus was virgin born? Do they believe that Jesus was sinless? Do they believe that he resurrected from the dead? Do they believe that he's the only way to be saved? That's why John gave us the warning in 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Again, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Notice, here's how you tell. This is how you know if that person is bearing the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not God. When a religious phony has character problems... And they have some strange doctrine. He's not a true prophet and fundamentalist. When his marriage breaks up, when his moral principles are questionable and his behavior, when it's suspicious, you have a false prophet no matter how nice and how popular he is. Don't judge a man's character and doctrine by his charm and personality. There are a lot of people with charisma in this world. A lot of people with charm and personality. Oh, they're so nice. They're, they're, oh, they're so wonderful. That's how they get you to believe. A tree might be very attractive to look at. It may be very beautiful to the eye. And just because that, that, that tree is beautiful to the eye... It doesn't mean the fruit that's growing on it may be good for you. It could be poisonous. We saw this in the case with, with Eve in the, gen, in the Garden of, uh, of Eden. Genesis 3, 6, remember it said, The woman saw. She saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. How could something, be, how, how could something so beautiful be so bad for me? You have to remember, it's the fruit of the tree that reveals its true identity. Then Jesus Jesus finished his counsel about false prophets by telling us how it's all going to end. How it's all going to end. He talks about their doom in the same figurative language that he used in recognizing them. Verse 19 says, every tree, notice Jesus said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. All false prophets are going to experience judgment. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, which means it's a bad tree, is going to experience the condemnation of God. Now the false prophet might be enjoying wallowing around in the warm glow of the world's spotlight. 
maybe in fame and position and, and, and notoriety and he's got a big following. They might be respected by society and they might parade around in their self-glory. You know, in front of all the people before the great religious gatherings in the world. But they're bad trees. And they're going to experience the wrath of God. They're going to experience His judgment. And remember, God judges by the fruit too. And who would know better about a person's fruit than God? And again, we talked about this when, when in our, on our study when Jesus taught about judging. We're not to judge people based on, on, on faulty evidence or feelings or because we don't like somebody. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's faulty judging. But we are to inspect a fruit. We are called to be fruit inspectors. Matthew 3, 7 through 9, it gives us a great example. But he, this is talking of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. And he said to them, brood of vipers. I love it. John the Baptist wasn't afraid to call them what they were. He said to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist tells the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, therefore, no, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. You know what he was telling those guys? Prove to me you're born again. That's what he's saying. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't tell me you're born again. Show me. Show me the fruit. God wants to see. God knows. But we know by a person's fruit. He says, he he goes on to, he says, don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't, be, don't depend upon your family history or family ancestry. Yeah, my, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in, a, in a family of Christians. My parents were Christian. That don't make you a Christian. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Each one must be born again. John the Baptist told the scribes, I can, I can turn these stones into children of Abraham. It's no big deal. He said, show me. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Remember, on that day, many are going to stand before the Lord. Lord, Lord, we did this. We did that. Oh, we went to this church, or we went to that church, and, and we, we, you know, we did this, and we sang that. And, and I never knew you. In terms of a personal relationship, he's going to say, I never knew you. And God's not going to make any mistakes when he judges because his judgment is according to truth. And his judgment is righteous. He knows all things. He sees all things. There's nothing that we have done that will be hidden from Christ. And that day it will all be exposed. So all of the apostates, all of the false prophets, all of those who disguise themselves as sheep but are really wolves, they're going to perish in divine judgment. Verse 19, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit that is, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The words cut down here, it speaks of how they are going to be humbled in the judgment. God knows how to humble us. All judgment is humbling. 
But some of the most humbling judgment is going to be the judgment of the false prophets because they exalted themselves as spokesmen for God. But in the judgment, they're going to be exposed as nothing but deceivers and corrupt tools of Satan. One of the desires of false prophets is to have prestige and popularity with the people. This was truly the desire of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And they did everything they possibly could to be seen of men, to be praised by men. They would have the respect so they could get the respect and the praise of men. That same spirit exists today. The apostates today who like to parade around in the spectacle of their robes of righteousness and dignity and honor and all of this hoopla before men. They soak it up. They eat it up. But this pride is going to be destroyed when God humbles the false prophet in judgment. In closing, let's look at the last verse there. Notice it says, it says, thrown in fire. And then verse 19 is going to be cut down and it's going to be thrown into the fire. This speaks of the eternal fire of hell. Matthew Henry graphically describes this, as, this fire as a fire blown with the bellows of God's wrath. The terrifying end in the eternal fires of hell is a warning to everyone not to follow the false prophets, not to believe false doctrine, not to believe in anyone other than Jesus Christ for salvation. If you are taken in by the false prophets and the false doctrine and anything else that is not of, of, of the gospel, your destiny is not going to be any different than the false prophets. Jesus spoke about the religious leaders of his day being those who take other people to hell with them. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he is one, notice, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Those are, those are heavy words by Jesus. The false prophets, the religious apostates are bound for hell. And so are those that they deceive. Father, again, we thank you for this powerful lesson, God. We thank you for Christ and his words here, God. And Father, now that we've heard them, we have a responsibility as to what we're going to do with them. Do we listen and take them as just information? History of the Bible? Or do we make them applicable to our life? That it might save us from that day of destruction. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there are many reasons why people don't. But none of them, none of them will ever be able to keep you from the judgment of God. No one will ever be able to stand before the Father and say, well, the reason I didn't believe in your son or the reason I, I didn't receive Christ is because, well, I knew hypocrites and 
well, I knew this and I knew that and I, it's not going to matter because each person has their responsibility to seek out who Christ is and to make a decision for him. And by not making a decision for him, you've really made a decision against him. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if God has spoken to your heart and you recognize I need Christ. Your religion can't save you. Your priest or your pastor, your rabbi, whoever it might be, they can't save you. All of your good deeds can't save you. There's only one that can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he died on a cross for your sins. Therefore, he's the only one who can forgive you of your sins. As we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.